0: Welcome to another episode of Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from a not-so-distant past. I'm Brian. And I'm Sean. How are you doing today, Sean? Super as always. I don't even know why I ask. Um, so, today's episode is very, very exciting for me in particular. When we decided that we were going to do a series that focused on actresses of the 90s, there was no way that I couldn't have at least one Emma Thompson film on the list. Now, Sean, Emma Thompson is one of the few actresses that both you and I have seen live and in the flesh together. In the flesh. Yes. M- on more than one occasion. Yeah,
1: more than one. Two, in fact. We saw her, before we saw her do anything else, we saw her give a Q&A, an interview, about what it means to be a screenwriter with all these kind of various props that she brought in with her. So... When you came into the, it was in the BFI, when you came into the cinema where they were holding it, Emma Thompson was already on the stage like a good 20 minutes before it started and we saw her like walking around, like crumpling up pieces of paper, hoovering, you know, that kind of thing. And it was all part, she said that was all part of how the writing process is for her. The second time we saw her in a much more appropriate context, which was at the Coliseum with the English National Opera doing a production of Sweeney Todd, and she was excellent.
0: That's right. So, um, what what is your experience, your fandom, if you have any, with Emma Thompson?
1: Well, here's the thing. I thought I, I'd seen lots of Emma Thompson films because I kind of know her, in a sense. Like, we kind of know her personality is.
0: Which is what? What's her personality? A,
1: a very particular kind of British uh, humour. How do I explain it? It's like... Broad, self-knowing, irreverent, and uh,
0: definitely literate. Highly literate. Yeah,
1: highly literate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I after we saw her live twice, it made me realize that actually, I've never
0: really seen many Emma Thompson films. Have you seen any of them? No, I've seen Junior. <laughs> Which is definitely, you know, I would say one of her signature films. But you, You've seen Love Actually.
1: Oh yeah, I have. But that's an ensemble thing. So, she, you know, even though she stands out, it's not an Emma Thompson film. So
0: wait, are you saying to me that Junior and Love Actually are the only Emma Thompson movies that you've ever seen? Is that what, literally what you're saying to me? No,
1: I've seen bits and pieces of Nanny McPhee as well. <laughs> what about Nanny McPhee too? No, no, I draw the line there. Oh,
0: God. Well, you know, so... I mean if it if it's not become apparent already from from the, my tone of voice in bringing this this up I certainly throughout the entirety of the 1990s was maybe the world's biggest Emma Thompson fan ever. I th- there was a time when I would not have missed a single Emma Thompson movie and you know we're we're talking all of them we're talking Carrington the Winter Guest at some point uh, my Emma Thompson completism did die out. You've made a few choices
1: not to see Emma Thompson films this year.
0: Uh, th- well, this year and last year. I mean, I have to admit, I'm sorry about this, Emma, but the love punch just didn't appeal. I don't even know if that got released in the United States. Oh, it did. Yeah, actually, oh, we didn't see Effie Gray no. either, did we? No, or we, the- <laughs> you. Okay. Or or uh, the currently released uh, Legend of Barney Thompson uh, there's still time. Yeah, there's still time for that. But you know, this presented a problem with the structure of our podcast because one of the things that this podcast is all about is, you know, us us one of us revisiting a film to see if we still like it, to see if we still know it, while introducing it to the other. But when it comes to Emma Thompson movies, you know, the the great ones, the great performances, Howard's End, Sense and Sensibility, Much Ado About Nothing, Remains of the Day. These are films that I mean, I don't need to rewatch them because they play on a constant loop in my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I could, I could and do quote them frequently. So it was hard to decide what uh, movie would be appropriate that would have Emma Thompson for this series. And then I hit upon it. Dead again. So, Sean, I have a feeling that the name Dead Again, when I announced it, you had never even heard of this movie. It
1: It sounds like a spoof film. What do you mean? Dead again? Well, like a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a spoof. It sounds like a farce. Like
0: scary movie
1: five. Yeah, or something. You know, it does. It just sounds like, like that's what it sounds like to me. I'm going to be honest to the listeners and to you. I know nothing about this film. I haven't watched the trailer. I don't know who's in it, apart from Adam Thompson. I don't know when it was released. I don't know anything about this movie. Like you even though you hadn't seen basic instinct yeah it was in your kind of cultural psyche you knew you knew what it looked like you knew the images etc i know nothing about this so it's film. a complete
0: blank slate it's That's a complete blank saying. slate okay well it's interesting that you bring up basic instinct and i think it's interesting that this episode is following the previous one because dead again and basic instinct are linked in a very um in a very concrete way, at least according to her version of it, because of the success of Dead Again in 1991, she was offered the part of Catherine Tremell in Basic Instinct. Well, Emma Thompson. It,
1: that doesn't entirely surprise me. I mean, a lot of actresses were in the running for that, but I cannot imagine Emma Thompson in any form in that movie. I know Emma Thompson was not averse to doing nude scenes, but I can't... <laughs> the idea of New- Emma Thompson, like, Gang Road by Michael Douglas, it's just something I don't want to think about. Well, it's
0: funny, because that's one of the parts... I mean, I think she loved to trot this out. One of the things she says in her typical Emma sort of tone of voice, she's like, when I finally saw the film, I thought that uh, Sharon must have been moulded out of plasticine. If it had been me in the film, I, bits of me would have been hitting myself in the face <laughs> uh, in the opening scene, which we love so much with that with that blonde wig. Um, yeah, I mean, I can literally remember her on David Letterman, and this must have been years and years still after Basic Instinct had been released. I think she was on to promote Sense and Sensibility or Junior or something, and she was wearing a pantsuit. And he brought up the fact that she'd auditioned and nearly been in Basic Instinct, and she did this kind of hilarious stretching of her legs, uh, referencing that that um, that shot from the interrogation scene. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about Dead Again, I think. Is that... yeah, so what is it? Well, why, <laughs> what is Dead Again? Well, Sean, what do you know about Emma Thompson's kind of rise to prominence?
1: Uh, okay, so she was in the in footlights with people like Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. That's correct. And. Had she done, like, sketch show comedy before that? Yes,
0: she had been a stand-up, and she had a very short-lived and big flop TV series that she wrote and starred in called Thompson. Who is really associated with Emma, at least at the beginning of her career? Partner Uh, in... Oh, Kenneth Branagh. Exactly. So this film, Dead Again, is directed by and also stars Kenneth Branagh. So you didn't know that at all? I think I might have known he was in it. Um, when she first kind of hit the international scene, she was very much Mrs. Kenneth Branagh. And the first time I ever saw her in a film was when I was taken to see Kenneth Branagh's um, Henry V in 1989. I think one of my father's coworkers said... Oh, Peter, uh, your son really likes all that highbrow stuff. You should take <laughs> him and see Henry what, V. You're, what, a ten-year-old child? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I was ten years old at the time. I had no idea what was going on in that movie. Okay. My father could not explain it to me, because obviously he had no idea about the Plantagenet kings or anything. But I have to say, there was one element of that movie that I absolutely and completely connected to, and that was Emma Thompson as Princess Catherine. And is that dramatic role? Uh, it's a dramatic but somewhat comic role because it's a history play and she plays the French princess um, who uh, Henry woos and there's this quite charming stuff that she does that she's she's supposed to not really understand English very well and she speaks in kind of both French and English. Uh, you know, just kind of instinctively I responded to her. So Dead Again was Kenneth Branagh's follow-up to Henry V. He had been Oscar nominated for that movie, really being compared to Laurence Olivier at the time. What was his follow-up? But this kind of Hitchcockian thriller, Dead Again, which you know in some ways might have seemed like he was really following in Olivier's footsteps because there's there's something, as you'll see, very much like Olivier in Rebecca in this yeah. in this kind of the film. So yet again, Emma and Ken are paired. Um, so it's going to be interesting to me to watch this and see is this really does this really give us a glimmer? of the Emma Thompson that I would come to know and love because it's just on the cusp of her kind of really um, showing us what she can do. So when is the last time you've seen the film? Oh god I mean I don't even know I've probably only seen it once or twice and it would have been you know around the time they came out. I don't think I saw it in theaters I probably saw it on VHS um, soon after it was released. And so what do you remember about it? I will say, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, except that there is a murder. Yes. Um, similar to Basic Instinct, instead of an ice pick, it involves some scissors. Oh. So scissors. Oh, so is this
1: film violent?
0: There's at least does one. There,
1: does anything go through a man's face? Uh,
0: we'll see. We'll see. I, I can remember at least one really gruesome shot. So okay. instead of ice pick, we have scissors. But I will also say, Sean, that it's not just any old murder; It's a murder that also possibly involves reincarnation. Oh, cool. Okay, James now Mario. now I'm slightly more intrigued. Are you more intrigued? Yeah,
1: I, for some reason I can see them all in, like, big coats and, like, woolly hats and... Well, I
0: think this is because you probably have this association with both Kenneth and Emma of being kind of highly literary, merchant ivory, Shakespeare... Can I
1: get jump in for a second? Go ahead. The, the name Kenneth Branagh fills me with dread. Why is that? People just like Emma Thompson more than they like Kenneth Branagh. That's true.
0: Yeah. That's true. I, I mean, definitely... Uh,
1: do you know what the first Kenneth Branagh film I ever saw was the second Harry Potter film? And that might have been the only one. Yeah.
0: Well, of course. I wish he
1: was playing some obnoxious, like, teacher.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but she was in the Harry Potter. as She was, well. but they were never crossing over. No, no. Um, no. And, you know, Kenneth Branagh, I think, obviously he's had a late career kind of weird turn where now he's directed two huge hits, Thor and Cinderella.
1: And Jack Reacher as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or Yeah, one of them. No, I think no, no. it was that. No, it was that. Um, it was that new that, uh, um, Chris Pine Russian one. No, but it's one of those Jack, Jack Ryan. That's Jack it. Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Emma is playing odd character roles in the occasional British film, and mostly seems to be campaigning for Greenpeace and stopping the third runway at Heathrow. You know, I think if we're lucky, she may she may run for Glenda Jackson's seat in Parliament now that now that Glenda has stepped away from political life. We'll see about that. So. Um, yeah, so Kenneth Branagh, he is smug. He is smarmy. Uh, I'm talking about generally, not necessarily in this movie. And he has no lips. When you when you see Kenneth Branagh, yeah, do you know, for those zero of you, lips. For those
1: of you at home, I've got terrible fur I've got a thin top lip. Uh, I don't want to be
0: like him. I do fear, Sean, that as much as I've built this movie up as an Emma Thompson vehicle, I have a feeling that we're going to get more Branagh than we are Thompson. And I think that's... Definitely indicative of the way that soon after this movie, Emma had to kind of step out of Ken's shadow. Okay, so do you want to ask
1: some questions about what I think the movie's going to be like?
0: Sure, I can. All- okay, so what do you think the movie's going to be like? Okay,
1: uh, I'm going to say real sets. What do you mean, Like wooden sets? <laughs> uh, I can. Exp- I- I'm seeing lots of codes. I'm sticking by the codes. Okay. Okay. It's set in Britain.
0: Okay, well, it's not, no, you, you, people, people at home can't hear your head shaking. Uh, okay, no, it's not said in Britain. Okay. okay. I want you to randomly guess some supporting actors in this film, because there's quite a number of big-name supporting actors who you probably don't know are in the movie. Uh, They're not all Parsons? British. <laughs> They're not all British. Estelle Parsons, okay. Estelle
1: Parsons, uh, Estelle Parsons, and also uh, Paddy Duke. And um I'm going to say Maureen, Maureen Stapleton. Can you guess a man? Uh Jack Lemon. <laughs>
0: okay, interesting. That all no, of the I people, have no idea. All okay. of the people you guessed are like over sixty.
1: Yeah, but I, this film was made in the early nineties, so
0: they're probably still low. <laughs> okay. No, I've no idea. Okay. Well, um we'll see if any of those people He is Adora. <laughs> Anything else that you want to guess about this movie before we start? Okay.
1: Why I, right now, I'm prepared not to enjoy the film. Oh, come on. No, no I'm going to be honest. Like Right now, I'm prepared. I have I've, I've a terrible feeling that I'm going to find boring.
0: It's okay. a rollicking, I, but I don't, I'm, unless baroque it's, murder mystery. Yeah, the thing
1: is, I'm more into the erotic thriller than I am the baroque murder... Baroque, I'd say. Murder <laughs> mystery, to be
0: honest. Okay. So, this is the point where you can watch the film, tune in and watch Dead Again, or else just keep listening to the podcast to see what we thought
1: all right then let's go back to the day Margaret and Roman first met how far back are you two years three years a year it was 1948 Okey-dokey, I think I've heard enough. Mr. Church, I really must insist that you refrain from talking during
0: the session. The lady just told us she met a guy named Roman in 1948. I say the session's over.
1: On occasion, Mr. Church, hypnosis can take us back to our past lives as well as our past. You expect me just to run with that? Let me remind you, Mr. Church, yesterday this young lady wasn't even speaking. Rock, not enough.
0: Program that night. Welcome back. We've just watched the film. So were you surprised by the plot of this film based on your completely blank expectations?
1: Well, I did say there's going to be a lot of wood in the film and I was right. Were you? Yes. I think there
0: was a lot more steel. <laughs> uh, scissors were used frequently as a motif, uh, perhaps overused, shall we say. So Brian,
1: I've got a feeling, call it my women's intuition, that a lot of the people listening did not go and watch the film. So why don't we do our
0: very best to try and fill in the gaps? Okay, so there's two plots, right? There's one set in 1948, yeah? And then there's one set in the present day, i.e., 1990, 1990, 1990, or whatever, whatever ninety-one. It is. Yeah. So, which which one is most important to begin with? What's What's the story that's going on in this movie? Okay,
1: no, we'll start with the black and white plot first. Okay. The film begins with a man on death row. His name is
0: Roman Strauss, Strauss, and he is German with a German
1: accent. Yeah. And he is meeting with a reporter for the last time before he goes for execution. Yeah. Okay. Why is he being executed? Because he killed his wife. How? With a scissors. Yes.
0: Although he says that he did not kill his wife.
1: Yet he's being executed for it. Hmm. Hmm. We'll talk about plot
0: holes later on. So basically this, this is a, a, a famous murder case. In fact, you, um, you gasped at the very beginning because the, the word murder is emblazoned <laughs> across the screen. Very early on.
1: Yeah, I had very high hopes, very high hopes in the first five minutes.
0: Why was that? The the style or what was it that was grabbing your attention? Uh,
1: the cast names.
0: Okay, so it, let's just say Estelle Parsons was nowhere to be seen, but who is present in the supporting cast of this film?
1: Um, who would have thought that these two films we've done have been tied together with the same person? Wayne
0: Knight. Yes, Wayne Knight, better known to many of you as Newman from Seinfeld, is in both Basic Instinct and Dead Again. Yeah. But he's hardly the biggest name.
1: No, 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 but he is the most important. Who
0: else is in this movie? Okay,
1: his name isn't in the uh, titled credits. I-, I wonder why. We had some suspicions that he saw the film and didn't want his name to be on I don't history.
0: agree. It was a clever, uncredited cameo from... Robin Williams. Robin Williams in his kind of Creepy, depressive Robin Williams yeah. mode.
1: And um, there was a uselessly used Campbell Scott.
0: Okay, yeah, well, he is a memorable scene. Campbell Scott, uh, Derek Jacobi. Derek Jacobi, yeah. very prominent, who basically appears in a, most, lots, yeah, lots a lot of, of it. Ken- a, a, but he's in a lot of Kenneth Branagh movies. Yeah.
1: Um, and German actress Hannah Schygulla, who is also known. As Maria Braun, yes, in the, the Marriage
0: of Maria Braun. The muse of Ghanavanna Fassbinder. Yes. yes. Um, that's basically the most... Oh, and Andy Garcia.
1: Andy Garcia. Yeah, And also, Glenn Close appears as a small boy.
0: If you don't understand that, we'll talk about that later. So um, so that's the dazzling supporting cast. Your, your hopes were high. Oh, they were saw, really high. When you saw these credits, you were thinking... Maybe Brian has found a hidden gem. And then the plot starts to unfold. So we have this historical murder in 1948, but what's going on in the present day?
1: The present day. There's a woman in a convent. Yes. What's her name? We don't know. <laughs> why won't? Why don't we know? Because she's mute.
0: <laughs> not only is she mute, but she's having horrific nightmares, which are scaring the nuns. Yeah. Yeah. She's a pre- I think we we might not have caught this detail, but they say that she scaled the walls of the convent, yeah. and they found her kind of mute and quivering. <laughs> and so what do they do but call, uh, they're all, it's not quite a convent actually, I think it's a boy's home. It's a home, boy's so. home, but it's a Catholic boy's yeah, home. Yeah, Catholic boy's home. And so who do they call but the local sort of private eye played by... Is that what he's supposed to be? Yeah, he's some sort of private eye of some ilk uh, played by Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in this film, already rehearsing his Woody Allen impression for when he played Woody Allen in Celebrity. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I've never seen his. Yeah, yeah, just sort of like uh, doing that uh, American thing, right? so I'm talking in that, fast talking, uh, I'm just a regular Joe American kind of way. Yeah. So he's the private eye. He shows up. Mike Church. That's right, Mike Church. And of course, the mute woman in Jeopardy who can't remember her name or anything about herself is our beloved... Emma Thompson.
1: What transpires is that both of them are reliving memories from the the husband and wife of the 1948 incident. And therein, the plot unfolds. Right,
0: so it's not not even just that they're reliving memories. They are, we're led to believe, the reincarnations of this man uh, who murdered his wife and the wife. And the reason that this all comes to be is because of a creepy... Quite camp antique stealer played by. You mean a, that's the standard antique stealer? Okay. <laughs> Could you just say antique stealer? Played by a beloved Derek Jacobi, kind of mincing around and acting really strange. He shows up. They they put her ad uh, of her face, don't they, into the newspaper because no one knows who she is, so they're thinking, oh, we'll publicize." Yeah. So Derek Jacobi shows up, and not only is he a creepy. uh slightly strange antique steel, he also dabbles in hypnosis. And so he he takes both, well, he takes Emma first and then Ken eventually on this kind of journey back into the mind. And that's where we get these flashbacks of the kind of sensational, um, glamorous life of Roman and Margaret Strauss. And we sort of learn gradually the details of their murder. And it's um, sort of in this faux Hitchcock faux Orson Welles kind of style of the 1940s isn't it and he is a European composer who's come over from Germany with his mysterious housekeeper which is Hannah Shigela I think that's how you pronounce her name sorry to any German listeners you can let us know but I I go with you Sean on this Shigela I have a feeling we're very big in Germany she's the she's the creepy housekeeper Not unlike Mrs. Danvers, slightly, right, in uh, Rebecca. So all these kind of throwbacks with her mysterious son, Frankie, who's very odd and at least in one particular shot has a very strong resemblance to Glenn Close. Now, once you
1: see it, you cannot unsee it. Yes, in
0: fact, that's probably the main reason to go back and watch Dead Again is to determine how much this young boy looks like Glenn Close, not just Any Glenn Close, but particularly Glenn Close as Albert Nobbs. No,
1: I would say any Glenn Close. Okay. He has that very strong forehead and those eyes, the the exact eyes. It's Glenn
0: Close. (laughs) An uncredited Glenn Close. So anyway, so that's basically the plot and it, it kind of unfolds. Obviously, the private eye starts to fall in love with this mute woman uh, the hypnotist helps her regain her voice. They discover, "Oh my god are we are we living out the the lives of these two people?" and you know it reaches a dramatic and violent climax um, so it was not quite the movie you expected. Was it a movie you enjoyed me yeah. no, no. <laughs> no i 'm talking to roman now <laughs> i 'm talking to Frankie no. Well, I, I, I'm guessing from the first word that's written on your note sheet, which I think I agree with, applies to the film. What is that word, Sean? Hokum. Yes, hokum. So, in our last episode, we debated whether Basic Instinct was trash. Uh, I think this movie is definitely hokum.
1: It's like, I'm okay when things are over the top and they're excessive. Mm-hmm. I find a film that's over the top, it really gives you nothing, it provides you nothing. Like, for a film with murder and a sex scene, there's not much to offend in this film.
0: I agree with you, and I think there's, there, there is something that just doesn't quite connect here, despite the great cast, despite, you know, an interesting premise, an interesting world, and moments that are really good. Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, despite being real-life uh, companions at the time that they make this movie, is it fair to say that they lack a spark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically, that's true. So in the in the contemporary plot line, we're supposed to kind of see this, you know... A blossoming romance. A blossoming it's like, romance. It's
1: like Em and Ken on their, like, you know, date night,
0: getting um, together. I don't know about you, but I basically was reading in the subtext of Emma's face, particularly when she had to be mute... How have I ended up in this material? I mean, maybe I'm reading into this a bit, because obviously she becomes a screenwriter, she initiates lots of projects, she's very outspoken in her political viewpoints, she's very vocal about strong roles for women, etc. This movie would seem to contravene everything that she eventually does in her career, right? Yeah. In the role of the mute woman, who we eventually learn is named Amanda... And... Nobody cares. Yeah, nobody cares. But uh, Amanda and Margaret, she's she's mute at the beginning. She's kind of passed around from man to man as this kind of agentless, a, agency-less victim. I mean... Well, she's in L.A., she'll have an agent by the end of the film. <laughs> um, you, you know, and then she's basically the wife, the murder victim. The, the movie, I think, is smothered by the presence of Kenneth Branagh. And I mean both his acting presence and his directorial presence, because I think all those over-the-top touches have his fingerprints all over them.
1: You said in your notes that Kenneth Branagh was far too mannered to to be good in this film. Yeah, I
0: mean, but that's true of every uh, Kenneth Branagh performance, you know. To me, Kenneth Branagh always seems like he's forcing it. So as the contemporary private eye, he's forcing this kind of, I'm American, kind of, this is L.A. sort of thing. And then he's putting on this kind of fake German accent when he's in the flashback scenes. And you just feel like he's he's saying to her, look what a chameleon I am. Look how I can, I can transform myself. Whereas Emma, I mean, I'm biased here, but what, what did you think of her? No, you said it
1: best. Her naturalness, her effortlessness, her personality comes through even when she's not really allowed to have one. She kind of approaches the role, and I think this is kind of quintessentially Emma Thompson, is that you can see that she knows, you can see that she's an intelligent person in every role she's in.
0: Yeah, you can see her thinking, you can see her wryness, her slyness, even when she has very little to go on there. I do think she's kind of radiant in those 1940s flashbacks. I mean, she looks... Great, and she just lights up the screen. She beams. You can see why Andy Garcia's reporter character is instantaneously drawn to her. You know,
1: those two in their short scenes together had much more going on than Em and Ken did. Yeah, which yeah. is which is real, really worrying.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I guess I have to say that I couldn't help but watch this film and think, is this a portrait of their kind of real marriage? That here is he. He's the bigger personality at the time because he's this acclaimed director. People are calling him the heir to Olivier. But actually waiting in the wings is this woman who is ready to literally find her voice.
1: Do people really
0: consider him to be
1: the heir to Olivier? Well, they
0: did in 1989 to 1991 or whatever it was. I mean, that was the kind of press story going on with him. But he, I mean, I don't see how you can watch this and not see that he's a complete egotist right i mean particularly when she's being mute and he's having to like oh yeah. Yammer away. yeah exactly um okay i mean we could hammer away at some of the the faults in the uh plot of the film as well it turns out that in fact um roman did not kill his wife the wife was killed, believe it or not, by the creepy, glen-close-looking German boy who turns out to be none other than. The antique Steeler Jerry Jacobi! That's right, so he's all grown up and he's been educated by a speech therapist in Britain, which is why he talks like a knighted English Shakespearean actor. Yeah,
1: isn't it funny? Of all the plot devices, plot holes they, they plan to fill up, the one that nobody, honestly, nobody cares about if they decide to. Yeah,
0: I mean on it, it is interesting. I mean I think Sean you pointed out something really astute because um contemporary Ken and M do not seem like people who are even remotely capable of violence. We never really think, "Oh god, he's he's going to kill her because he's the reembodied spirit of this murderer," right? The way the film is made, it forces them
1: to, it forces a character to view someone who is completely non-violent and non-threatening and who did nothing but help her in the entire, you know, present-day situation, it doesn't feel natural. I'm afraid of you, Mike.
0: Well, you're afraid of a dead man.
1: You heard what Dr. Carlisle said about how two people keep meeting over and over again.
0: Yeah, OK, say that's true. Why would I want to hurt you? Why would Roman hurt Margaret? I'm, I'm not Roman! Roman. Truly, will you shut up?! OK! OK, OK, take these. I want you to have them, so just take them, right? Take the fucking scissors, Grace! But none of this actually seems scary, you know? Like, if they created, you know, imagine, like, Roman Polanski doing this material or something. Imagine, like, a sense of paranoia building, like, is this guy going crazy, this private eye who's, you know, do I have to fear him? But you never really fear him. And... Um, Then, of course, it comes out, apparently, the guy in 1948 didn't kill his wife, but for whatever reason, He didn't just say, no, the person who killed her was my German housekeeper's son. Or even deny it, because we're told he makes no effort to deny this whatsoever. But for whatever reason, I mean, what kind of lawyer did he have? There seemed to be no evidence whatsoever, (laughs) and there's two other people in the house... All that money? ...who are colluding in the murder, and apparently they can't pin it on the little boy and the creepy German woman. So then, 40 years later, through hypnosis that's induced by the murderer himself... The other two figure it out, and then the German lady it just says, oh yes, I've lived with this guilt for so long. Then she tells the story, and then we go to like, uh, uh, the sort of out-of-the-blue, gory, dramatic climax in a room full of scissors. And you know, the
1: funny thing is, none of this trouble would have happened if Jarek Jacoby had just
0: left her alone, because she was mute. <laughs> she wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. Now, what about that final set piece? So basically... We learn that Emma Thompson, in her re-embodied form, through those years when she's been living through these repressed memories, she's become a a multimedia artist. But every single piece of work that she does involves scissors. And you notice it included things like the melting clocks, the the Mona Lisa repainted with scissors, yeah, and the Salvador Dali with the melting scissors. But there's also, very conveniently these giant scissor sculptures that are all over the room. Can I say,
1: which definitely look like they're made of plastic, (laughs) bendable plastic.
0: (laughs) And poor Derek Jacobi. I mean, he's already been shot, hasn't he? And then, for no reason, in a slow motion, kind of, over-the-top climax, he gets impaled on the scissors, which I remembered... Kenneth Branagh also impales him with a sword at the end of Hamlet. Uh, the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. It
1: was one of those little like, boys' jokes, little boys, in jokes between jokes, Derek yeah, and Ken, between friends.
0: Yeah. Well, so I mean, that climax. Because you asked, is this movie violent? It is. You know, in that in that final scene, but um,
1: it satisfied none of my violent urges. I'm yeah, sure. it
0: hasn't. It hasn't earned it, has it? No, it
1: hasn't. No. Any film released in America that has a few fucks in it, the word that is, and a little bit of violence, it's going to get an R rating anyway. So why don't you just go crazy and just do what you want, you know?
0: Well, you know, I think he was trying to make something that um, was a kind of a classy, a classy piece in a way. I mean, obviously he's trying to invoke this kind of old school glamour. Did you know that actually, um, apparently the film was entirely filmed in colour uh, and test audiences were confused about the switching back and forth between the 40s and the present day, so they made the um, 40s parts into black and white oh, to man. kind of help them figure it out. Yeah, sorry sorry, American audiences, are so <laughs> dumb. Can you see why as a 12-year-old, or however old I was, I thought it was a kind of, you know, clever, devious mystery? I remember being so surprised when it turned out Derek Jacobi was the killer.
1: I was struck by how cheap the film looked. Well, that... it's very uncinematic. The scenes that are set in the nineteen forties have a kind of a period element to them, but the films that the scenes that are set in the present day, it just feels like the the exterior of houses, r- side roads in L.A., you know, dirt paths. Like it doesn't really feel like it's anywhere or anything. It, it we're kind of just like it's like they they're student filmmakers,
0: you know. I think it was clearly made on a kind of art house shoestring and sort of it was it was his attempt to make big commercial Hollywood fare I mean
1: and any film that has slow-mo action sequences in which somebody's gonna get shot somebody's gonna fall something's gonna happen and they're, they're they're in midair for about five seconds as they make their way towards not just in midair for D&T. five
0: seconds but also with like jump cuts to the 1940s yeah. of people doing things like conducting the Los Angeles Philharmonic I, I,
1: those scenes of the Philharmonic, you could tell that it was just him looking at the camera waving around <laughs> a, a stick. What do you
0: call it? Baton. Is that, is that what you call it? Yeah, it is what you call right. it, yeah. But, um, okay, so now the, the, the pantheon of Emma Thompson roles that you've seen has expanded from Junior and Love Actually to now Encompass Dead Again. So yeah, you've basically all, all seen, the classics, yeah. You've basically seen her cry to Joni Mitchell uh, <laughs> raise a baby with Arnold Schwarzenegger and get murdered by a teenage Glenn Close. And that,
1: that's uh, Naomi Fee, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> i realized watching this film that Emma Thompson will do her
0: darndest to make anything good. <laughs> I just hope, and I, I think it's probably true, she seems really happy with her new husband, Greg Wise. She does. She does. They seem like they have a lovely life. And a lovely house in Highgate. <laughs> okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that has been another episode of Broad Appeal. Uh, maybe you're going to check in and watch Dead again, maybe you're not, but I certainly hope you will check in the next time that we look back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant past. Yeah, maybe we'll like the film as well. <laughs> well, I hope you like this conversation. And remember, if you're a fan of the podcast, tell everyone that you can, any way that you can, Please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review while you're there. You can follow us on Twitter at Broad Appeal Pod. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.